You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be. I love that response. That's good. Hey, again, welcome everybody at home watching online. If you're just tuning in later down the road or somewhere else today, we're really glad you're with us. Hopefully you're not in a place that's nicer than Indiana because our weather's been pretty fantastic, just saying. But anyway, so we're wrapping up our series today on the treasure principle. We gave out 550 books. I hope it's been encouraging and challenging to you. I've read this book. It's my fourth time through it now. And every time I read it, I get convicted and encouraged in all new ways. But we handed out at the door this little white piece of paper and it kind of has what we call the these six keys that are listed in the book, these six things. So if you didn't read it, I just gave you the cheat sheet. All right, so I just saved you the time, the money, and the effort. Actually, I really highly recommend it. It's a very short book. You can read it in an hour or two if you're, or if you're a decently paced reader. So, but I'm gonna cover two of these today, and I didn't have time to recap, and so I wanted to put this in your hand. Maybe stick this somewhere where you could just remember it. Stick it in your Bible if you still carry a paper Bible, or maybe in your car, or put it in your bathroom mirror, whatever it is. These are great reminders for everyday life. But where I wanna go today, I wanna base it off this one question, kind of set up today, you ready? Has anyone ever given you a present that had no monetary value, but to you it was a treasure? You ever had that happen? My wife, uh, for years, when she was like a poor high school student, then a poor Bible college student, then she was a poor pastor's wife, she would do a craft Christmas and her brother would tease her about it every year because she would just tell him, I just want you to know this is another craft Christmas. He'd be like, oh, yay, my favorite. <laughs> but there's something special about those, right? So the other day, I come home from work. Uh, it's been a long week. It's the, my Friday, which is a Thursday, since it kind of works Sunday to Thursday. And I come home, and it's been a long week, and I am so looking forward to my day off tomorrow. And my littlest guy greets me at the door, and he's so excited that I'm home. And everybody's saying, hi, and daddy, how's your day? And give me a hug and all that stuff they do. And he goes, daddy, 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 I got something I gotta give you. And he walks up to me, and he hands me this. There's a picture of it, I think. Yes. That means nothing to you, does it? You can't really even tell, I guess. This is an empty popsicle wrapper. I had to eat it. It wasn't empty when he handed it to me. An empty popsicle ratter, wrapper, and he's five, and you may not be able to make out the letters, but this says daddy on it. He went into the freezer in the middle of the day, decided he wanted to give me a gift, pulled out a popsicle because he loves popsicles, wrote my name on it, taped it to the popsicle, and then waited all day for me to show up so he could hand me a popsicle. Now, I can eat a popsicle with the best of them, but I don't particularly love sugar water, frozen sugar water. Like, you know, if I'm gonna eat my weight and calories, I'm gonna do it another path. But this means something, right? It was valuable to me. Now, the irony of this whole situation is, who bought the popsicles? Thank you, son, for giving me my stuff. I really <laughs> appreciate you thinking of me. Secondarily, of all the things that we have in our cabinets and in our refrigerator, he picked the thing that costs like a dime. It didn't cost much. I bought it. It was mine in the first place. But when he gave it to me, didn't it mean something? In fact, when I finished dinner, I told him, I said, buddy, I don't want to eat it before dinner. Let me eat dinner first. So I ate dinner and immediately got up and walked over to the fridge. He said, daddy, 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 don't forget about your popsicle. I said, where do you think I'm going, bud? 
I went over, I opened up the freezer, I pulled it out, I cut off the tip, I gave him the tip, it's a win-win. I gave back to him part of his generous offering to myself, and then we sat and ate it together. And he also shared the rest of it, sitting in my lap, while his brothers finished their homework. And what was amazing about that was when the brothers found out that he got to eat half of a popsicle with his daddy, they got jealous that they hadn't thought of it in the first place. So, initial question. Has anyone ever given you a present that had no monetary, monetary value, but to you, it was a treasure? What I want to do today is use that story with my son that just happened this week. I love when God gives me stories the week before a message. What I want to do with that story is set up for you how this relates to God. I want you to think for a minute, and I know some of you visiting today, you aren't sure about God. Some of you watching online, you're just not sure yet. You've been taught through many, many years, many, many articles, videos, school education, that this world is one great accident, that it's all come together by chance, miraculously. We can't explain it. There has to be, numerically, multiple other worlds just like ours somewhere in the universe, and yet we can't find them. Now listen, the Bible teaches us that God is the creator he is the uh, uncreated one who has both the power and the knowledge and the wisdom, and don't miss this last one, and the love to create all that we've ever known. Now, in that creation, <clears throat> check this out. He made 750,000 species of insects, 400,000 species of flowers, 200,000 species of edible plants, 10,000 species of birds, and stars too numerous to count. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Our world is a world of abundance. This is the time of year where we all love to go to places like Beasley's or whatever, right? Pick some apples. Anybody do that? Anybody else do hear that? And yet you know that you're going to get there and there's going to be piles of apples underneath the tree that fell off and who's going to eat them? The wild animals, or my kids. Yeah, the wild animals. <laughs> Look at this one, Daddy. Yeah, turn that over, son. <laughs> wild animals are going to eat those. Bees are going to eat those. Whatever, yellow jackets are going to eat those. And yet there's going to be so many for you. You're going to take them home, and some of them are going to rot in your refrigerator. Am I right? We live in a world of abundance, and the world keeps making more. Does that blow your mind? We live in a creation where there is so much. Our God has said, I have so much to give you. And there's so much more where that came from. We are told a lie on a regular basis that we have almost completely tapped the world's sources and resources. And I know some of you are like, that's not a lie, Pastor. I've got data to back that up. Know what you have. Don't miss this. What you have is data showing that the systems of the world are not set up to partner with God the systems of the world are set up so that we can be greedy and we can hoard for ourselves. There is more than enough resources in the world to meet the needs of the world. The question is always, what will we do with those resources? And I know, I just like turned over a lot of apple carts today. But I want you to hang with me for a minute. I want you to look at two passages in the Bible that are going to set this up well. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Far from, for from him, sorry, <clears throat> and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. Let this one just sink in for a minute. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? The answer, what Paul's trying to get to here is no one. None of us has ever, have ever gone to God and said, look, I gave you all of this, you owe me one. It's no different than when your child walks in and hands you a 10 cent frozen popsicle that you bought. You don't owe them anything, but you love the blessing, don't you? And this next part, from him, through him, and don't miss this one, church, for him are all things. Everything comes from him for you to be blessed and encouraged, but it's all ultimately for him, for his glory, so that he gets the credit. Why is God so abundantly blessed this world? Why is it filled with so many resources? Why is there so much here? Because God is good all the time. He has literally filled our lives with so many good things, which is why, and I already quoted it, James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, in other words, you can trust him yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He's not conniving. He's not shifting. It's not like, well, God, I thought you had you figured out, and I thought you were like this, but now you're like this. No, God's been consistent from the very, very, very beginning. Life changes. Circumstances changes. God may interact with us in different seasons in different ways, but he does not change. He is consistently good and consistently faithful, and he will show up for you in every good and perfect gift comes from him. When I first read this passage, I was in high school uh, because it was a song that we were taught. And I learned the song before I learned the verse, and I learned there was a verse attached to it. And my first thought, I don't know if anybody else thinks this way, my first thought was, James, when you're writing this, are you talking specifically about like Jesus and the Holy Spirit, or is it bigger than that? And so for years, I settled in my heart because I thought, okay, well, he must be talking about Jesus. He must be referring to the Holy Spirit. So it, it, that's what this means. So therefore, there's no application to the rest of life. Except that doesn't read right. In the book of James, what James is dealing with in the book of James is he's dealing with the people who've become greedy. They've become obsessed with their stuff and he's rebuking them and he's calling them out and he's saying, stop being so obsessed with wealth and power and money. In fact, at one point he goes so far as to say, you should grieve, mourn, and wail over the way you have offended the heart of God because you love your stuff. In other words, realize everything you have has come from him, everything. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the ultimate example of all of God's goodness. But everything has come down from him, and he doesn't change. In other words, don't miss it. He'll keep providing. He doesn't change. He doesn't bless you today and curse you tomorrow. Now, there are seasons of plenty and seasons of want the Bible's clear on that, but he'll always make sure you have what you need. 
See, it's a principle. Now, it's out of that principle that we learn how to partner with God. I want to do deep Bible for the next few minutes. And some of you are going to be eating this up, and some of you are going to be maybe lost or confused, and some of you just won't care and can't wait till I get to the other side of it. I'm going to ask everybody to go with me. Stick with me, because I'm going to go really fast. What I want to do is cover for you the Old Testament history of what God required his people to do, and then what happened out of that and what it means for us today. Because every time I talk to long-term Christians about generosity, I always end up in a conversation about what is it required to do today and what does that mean related to the Old Testament. So let's first just lay the groundwork together. God rescued the Israelites. Once Satan had tempted Adam and Eve, and he created a world of sin, and everyone had sinned, God chose to make a nation for himself, the Israelites, whereby he would bring his goodness back to the world through them. And that came first through the law, and then through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that's the tension we're living in. When God gave them the law, what we would call the oracles of God, if you will, it was his way to reveal to them what earthly living looks like when it's living in a way that is pleasing to him. And the Israelites failed over and over and over again to fulfill the law. And then the wisdom there, the teaching there, is that so do we. We fail over and over and over again to do everything perfectly as God would have it. But we'll get to that in a moment. Inside that law, God created a system of generosity that looks like this. The first piece of the system you have to know is something called the first fruits. We covered that a couple weeks ago. First fruits is literally, since God created everything that exists, all of creation belongs to him. You can see this in Psalm 24, verse 1. Consequently, that which is first and best belonged to God and was to be given to him. So the principle of first fruits simply said, before I spend one dime on myself, I give God first what is his own. Then I'm allowed to spend on my family. The second principle was the tithe. The tithe literally was a requirement of the law in which all the Israelites gave 10% of everything they earned. It often started with grain and and they were agricultural society, but then it went on to other things and investments as well. Then there was something called the sin offering. The sin offering was specifically a focus on the cleansing of the people when they sinned against God. So if they broke one of those rules, one of those laws, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, they were to bring in very specified things depending on the kind of sin and how much money they had. They had to sacrifice their animals and bring them in to the Lord and say, God, I've got to cover up over my sin with my sacrifice. So it cost me. Now, I want you to imagine, before we move on to these other ones, I want you to imagine this week, how many times did you do something that God would ask you not to do? Did anybody tell a little lie this week? Or maybe a big one. Did anybody cheat anybody? Did anybody look at somebody else with lust in your heart? Did anybody in here, please don't raise your hands, by the way, in case I didn't say that, all right? Did anybody in here, like, oh, sorry, I got you, all right, moving on, okay. Did anybody in here covet something their neighbor has? You desired something your neighbor has, a car, a house, a boat, a family situation, a business. Anybody in here ever cheated on their taxes, even if it's just a small amount? <laughs> Somebody laughed at that. <laughs> After the service, we'll be joining down here and praying together. Um, 
Anybody in here ever drink too much? Do you see where this is going? So every time, and the list is huge, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. God had to have people who are experts in the law just to help people keep in line with all the times that they sinned against God. And every time they did, there was a prescribed sin offering that they had to bring to the temple and offer to the Lord. Then there was the guilt offering. This refers to what we owe God on account of our sin. So the sin offering helped cover over our sin. The guilt offering was because we stood guilty and condemned before God. And God was trying to create a pure people. So they would bring in a guilt offering to help them. Now, guilt in our day means, ooh, I feel bad for what I did. That is not what a guilt offering meant in Israel. A guilt offering had to do with a judgment, a condemnation. I know I have sinned against the Lord and I stand guilty. Think of the end of a trial when the judge hits the, the, whatever, the gavel on the thing and he says, guilty. That's what this means, a guilt offering. I have done it. Not I feel bad about it. I know I did it and I gotta be right with God again. Then there was the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was to deal with sin and express devotion to God. And the burnt offering is a fascinating thing. Man, I could do a whole sermon on the burnt offering sometime, but the way that the Bible describes like the aroma of the burnt offering rising up to the Lord, the idea of this animal being given to God, and the whole idea is it's, like a, it's almost like a, a free will offering where you're coming to the Lord, and it's what today we might call, if you've ever been in a church for very long, a rededication of some sort. It's a coming back to the Lord and realizing only if I sin against him, but I want to be right, and I'm recommitting my life. I'm not just covering over my sin. I'm literally saying, God, I want to be right with you. This is a big deal to me. Then there is the grain offering. And the grain offering has obviously nothing to do with animals. It's just a voluntary expression of devotion to God. You're recognizing his goodness and his providence, and you're saying to him, God, I want to bring this offering to you because I realize how blessed I am because of you. Then there is something called the peace offering. The peace offering was a way to make peace with God. It was brought to the temple out of the overflow of the worshiper's heart. The peace offering actually has really two major components to it. I'm gonna use the same analogy. Imagine a spouse who has offended their spouse. Anybody here ever done that? In the last 24 hours. Now, if you wanna make peace with that spouse... Let's say you're the man, you might buy some flowers and a card, right? And it doesn't make everything go away, but you come in with your offering (laughs) in tow and you say, honey, I love you. I know I've been home late every single night this week. I know I was a jerk. I know I yelled at you after the Colts were losing the game. And uh, I'm really sorry. You're more important to me than football or work or whatever it is. And uh, I apologize. I'm here, look. See? Might go the other way around. It's like, hey, you know, whatever dishes or cleaning the house or making your favorite meal or giving you a night out, whatever it is. But everybody gets the analogy, right? Like, I blew it and I'm just here to make peace, right? Like, I just, we're good, right? We're good, we're good, okay. Then, on the other side, a peace offering also could go this way. Like, um, uh, you could just say, you know what? I love my spouse so much. I'm sitting at work and all of a sudden I just get this idea, man, I just love my spouse. Like, I just love my spouse. You know what I'm gonna do? I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go buy flowers and just come home. And when they say, why did you buy me flowers? You're just gonna say, because you're awesome. 
I think you're the most amazing woman in the world. And out of all the billions of women in the world that I clearly could have snagged, I chose you. <laughs> you might not do it that way, man. I... And I'm so glad you said yes, because I was worried. There was a little while there. I wasn't sure I was going to go. I'm so glad you said yes. I'm blessed. That's also a peace offering. A peace offering actually breaks down. There are multiple categories of peace offering. Peace offering. One of them is just called the free will offering. It's literally just a moment where you're so stirred and so moved. Remember, this is about God, not your spouse. You're so moved and stirred by the goodness and the glory of God. You literally just come in and bring a free will offering. God, I have no reason to do this except for thank you. I love you. You are so special. For some reason, you've chosen to love me. And I just want to say thanks. That's it. Now, why would God institute such a complex generosity system? And there are a lot of reasons. For one, God was dealing with people's sin in a way that would point ultimately to the Messiah. So every single one of those guilt offerings and sin offerings, all of those, literally, if I were to go through piece by piece by piece by piece, you would see how Jesus fulfills them all. But the big reason, I don't miss this, actually comes down to that piece of paper, treasure principle number five, because God knows that giving is the only antidote to materialism. That's it. And if we don't give to God, we will consume for ourselves. And what we're ultimately doing, please don't be offended by this, but just wrestle with what I'm saying. What we're ultimately doing when we consume all that God has given us for ourselves is we're saying that ultimately we are God. I'm more important. What I want is king. It doesn't matter what God created me for. It doesn't matter why God blessed me. It all came from my hard work, from my ingenuity, from my smarts. But the Bible teaches the opposite, that everything you have has come down from the Father of heavenly lights. He's good and he loves you, so he blessed you. So the question is not, God, how do I spend what I get? But God, what do you want me to do with it? So God created this complex system, which isn't even everything. There were also times where they were supposed to glean, meaning don't pick all the grain in the field. Intentionally leave some so that the foreigners and others around, among you can literally come and pick from the field. There are people today trying to create gleanings in their office space. They'll actually rent out more than they need, business owners, and leave space that's available for like pastors or priests or Christian counselors or other people to be able to use the space who maybe can't afford the space but are trying to get ministry done in the community to make the community a better place. It's a way to practice a principle of gleaning. And the reason I say those things sometimes is because I want to plant seeds in your mind of what you might be able to do with whatever God gave you. But that's in addition to... Some have estimated that the average Israelite would have to give between 23 and 26% a year to be made right with God. Let that sink in for a minute. Plus, any gleaning, taking care of a foreigner, a neighbor who knocks on the door, a family member who has a need, or the fact that you just want to say thanks to God once in a while. 23 to 26%. Oh, mind-boggling, isn't it? This is the heart of what God's getting to in the book of Malachi, chapter three, when, when Malachi says this. Actually, God tells Malachi, Malachi's a prophet. He says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Well, you ask, how are we robbing you, God? And God's answer is in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room or room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. How many times does it say, says the Lord Almighty? Because Malachi wants you to know, look, I didn't make this up. Now, the question that always comes up at this point, always comes up at this point, Malachi's Old Testament pastor, does that passage still apply to us today? To which I would say yes and no. What does that mean? Well, first, we have to understand what generosity means and the big picture of what God is doing in the world. And I think Randy Alcorn in the book, The Treasure Principle, says it well. He says this, giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. It dethrones me and exalts him. That's what I'm getting to when I say, see, when I spend everything I have on me and my family and my needs, I end up becoming my own little God. But when I realize everything is from him and everything is for him, then I start to ask the question, God, what do you want to do with your stuff? And the Old Testament system says, I give tithes, the first 10%, I give it to the temple so that the priests can eat and do all the work of the temple. Everything else is to deal with my sin. And that's where the tension point comes. So those who study their Bible well today say, But that's Old Testament law. We're no longer under the law. In fact, Pastor Matt, you preached on Galatians this summer where you taught us we are not under the law. And they are correct. And if you missed that series, I highly recommend it. We are no longer under the law. Praise God. We don't offer burnt offerings. We don't offer sin offerings. We don't do those things because Jesus is our offering. He's the reason we don't do it anymore. In fact, let me just show you three very quick verses just to give you a picture of this. And I don't have time to go too deep on these, but I want you to see them. First Peter chapter one, verse 18 says this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And many of those Old Testament sacrifices, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, you would have to bring a perfect spotless lamb in for sacrifice. Here, Peter is directly connecting Jesus to the sacrifice and saying, your guilt is gone. You don't stand condemned in Jesus anymore. You stand free before God. Ephesians 5, Paul says, verse 1, Following, or follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, when Jesus walked to the cross of his own power and will, he was literally offering his body as a sacrifice for us. And then lastly, there's many, many, many examples, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul again writes this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. Remember that word? That God asked the Israelites to give the first of everything that was given to them back to himself. And Paul takes that same thing and says, the first fruits was always about Jesus. God gave the best and then asked that we give the best back to himself. Because it all belongs to him anyway, 
What's the point then? The whole fall asleep thing has to do with death. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he became the first of many who would follow in his footsteps. And God took the first back for himself. So all of those Old Testament pictures were to point us to Jesus, every single one of them, which really only leaves one way to engage with God in generosity, and it's the free will, thanksgiving, peace offering. It's the realizing that all of my debts have been paid in Jesus. Everything I have is from Jesus. The only thing left for me to do is just say, thank you, God. It's like when your kid walks up to you and hands you a popsicle that you paid for anyway. It says, I just want you to know I love you, my daddy. That's what's left. We don't give to forgive. We give because we've been forgiven. And it's a game changer. But if God required the Israelites to give 23 to 26% of their income and their sins weren't forgiven, how much more ought we be saying thank you to God and our sins are forgiven? They were doing it out of hope and hopelessness. We do it out of confidence and love. But the reason most of us don't give more to God and to what he is doing in the world through missionaries and, and nonprofit organizations and helping our neighbors, the reason most of us don't, let's just be honest, the reason most of us don't is because we aren't sure that it's going to work. That's just the truth. We aren't convinced that if we give away more, that God will replace it with more, that it'll work out in the end. We just don't believe it. It's a faith issue at the end of the day. To that end, what I wanna do is just read you two passages real quick. Luke chapter six, verse 38. Jesus actually says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Anybody in here like Slurpees? I'm not talking about Ices. I mean, they're a great, like, plan B. Like, you got to go to a real 7-Eleven, and there aren't any around here. But if you've ever traveled and you end up at a 7-Eleven, stop and buy yourself a Slurpee. Because when you do a Slurpee the right way, you put the lid on the cup. You know what I'm talking about? And you go over and you pull that thing down. And you wheeze the juice all the way down into that, like 10 people saw that movie. Then what you do is you pack it down until it settles. Then you pour some more in. Then you pack it down until it settles. And you pour some more in. And you keep doing it until you get all the way to the top. And if you let your child do this, which I have, they don't know when to stop. And what happens is it just keeps going until it's all packed down. and It just kind of fills over the side, right? Like Jesus would have it. Because then you lick that cup all clean. That's the analogy I picture Every time I see this verse, it's this whole idea of don't miss this. Most of us think God is not a generous God, and yet we look at the world and its abundance. Why do we think he's not generous? And what Jesus is trying to say is when you give to God, 
He's going to give back, and it's going to be in such measure, you won't be able to contain it. It'll be pressed down, shaken together to make sure it's tightly packed in, and it's going to overflow into your lap. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, Paul says it this way. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, in other words, God gave you both sides of this. He gave you the seed to plant. He gave you the rain and the sun to bring the plant to fruitfulness. He brought about the harvest so that you could go in and make bread. So God gets glory for every single part of the process. He will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So you get more seed and a bigger harvest when you're generous with God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, Paul is saying, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The whole idea here is you can't outgive God, but don't get this wrong. God is not giving you more so you can have more. God is giving you more so that you can leverage more. Treasure principle number six, again, if you got it, it says God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Listen, could it be that you got that bonus? Could it be that you got that big sale? Could it be your house sold for more money? Could it be that God is doing that so that you will bless in Jesus' name, not so you will have bigger and better and more? Remember, the problem in our world is not the generosity of God. It's the greed and the hoarding of us. I wrestled with whether I have time to do this, but I'm gonna do it. Grace from everybody who's like, we gotta get out of here. I came across the first free will offering in the Bible, and I never knew that's what it was when I found it. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Exodus, chapter 35. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. What's happening is they're beginning to build a house for the Lord, Literally. And so God has given Moses his marching orders. We need this, 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 we need this. And then he gave him specific plans. You're gonna build the ark, it's gonna look like this, you're gonna build the temple, it's gonna look like this, you're gonna put you know, this light lamppost here, you're gonna put this here, an altar, you're gonna, this is what it's gonna look like. You're gonna do all this. Now this is not the future temple, this is the temporary one, but all these things pointed to those things. I wanna read for you now, Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. Then the whole, and I want you to notice here, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved, was moved, moved them, came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. A wave offering, literally, they would take it and wave it to the Lord. Like you ever see people worship waving their hand? Literally, it's biblical. They would just wave it before the Lord. Thank you, God. That's what a wave offering is. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, which was a big deal, all right? Ram skins dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. 
Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. I read this passage and I was so overwhelmed with joy. There was something that stood out to me over and over and over again. It was late at night. It was like 1130 at night. My wife was like watching TV on her phone and I'm trying to finish up my message. And and I said, Rachel, 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 I want to read this passage to you. Tell me what you hear when I read it. And I got done and she first had like a lot of questions about like, what's a wave offering? What's this? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what did you hear? She goes, everybody was in on it. Exactly. The people of the Old Testament were so excited about what God wanted to do in their midst that everybody who was willing had one heart and said, I can't do it all, but I can do my part. I could provide a little yarn. I could provide onyx. I can provide goat hair, whatever. I have something to bring to the table. And what happened next is crazy. I don't think I've ever heard of a church doing this, but I tell you, this just, I'm telling you right now, I texted this to the elders and the executive team. I said, this is my dream for our church. This is what I wanna do next. The next chapter, chapter 36, take a look at me, verse two. Then Moses summoned Basilel, Basilel, how do you say his name, and Oliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Verse six, then Moses gave an order and they sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Could you imagine a day where a pastor stands on stage and says, guys, stop giving so much. There's more than enough to do all the work of God. I tell you, I'd love for that day to come. I would love to stand on stage and say, guys, we literally have a surplus in our budget. And so what we're doing now is we're generously looking at missionaries all around the world and asking how we can bless them. Um, We're literally trying to figure out in our community what's going on that we need to come alongside of to prop up because the reality is you guys have been so generous that we, we just have too much. We have too much. Doesn't that kind of church excite you? Here's what I want to do right now is... I wanna stop and give time for the Lord to speak into our hearts. My only ask with you as we close this series, and by the way, you do not wanna miss the next series. If you're going on fall break, I get it, lots of people do, tune in, trust me, because we're gonna talk about a really hard thing that everybody needs to hear about, but it's hard to hear about. But here's what I wanna do for our remaining few moments together. In front of you on these tables all around the room is the sacrifice of Jesus. It's the bread and the juice As you take that bread and take that juice, I want you to simply say, God, thank you. 
thank you that Jesus died in my place. He lived the life that I couldn't live to give me the life that I couldn't buy on my own. Thank you. But as you take that bread and that juice, there's a box on that table. There's also boxes in the back of the room. You can use any of them. I want you to remember his generosity to you and as you partner with him and as he stirs your heart, I want you to be generous back to him. You may only begin today with a commitment. You could literally take your piece of paper. You could even write something on the back. God, what I hear your voice telling me to do today is I need to sell this thing. I need to do this thing. I need to give to this ministry, this organization. I need to do this. You could even take that if you wanted. You could stick it in one of those boxes. We're not asking you to do that necessarily, but you could. What I want you to do today is to not leave here the way you came in. To ask God, what would it look like for me to be as generous towards you, God, as you have been toward me? If you're in this place right now and you're hurting in some way or another, we want you to know you're not alone. We have a team of people called our Connect Team and they are ready to pray with you and talk to you and encourage you and answer any question you have about Jesus. He is your true sacrifice Hang on to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we stir about this place, and we take the bread and the juice, which represents your sacrifice to us. God, we pray now that you would receive our sacrifice back to you. God, what do we have to give you that you haven't already given us? It's all from you anyway. But just like God, when I opened up my son's popsicle and ate it and shared it with him, it brought so much joy to my heart as he climbed up in my lap. And God, I know that's how you feel about our offering. God, they're free will offerings. We thank you, God, because we know, Father, that those offerings, while maybe small in the big picture of the world, together they can make a huge, huge difference. God, my prayer as a pastor of this church, Lord, I long for the day, and I look forward to the day where we have such a surplus that we are asking, how do we do even more in the world? Just like Exodus 36. So Father, go with us now. Increase our desire to see your name praised and made great among the nations. In Jesus' name.